Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella from Grief Recovery Now, your host today and every day. And so happy you're here today. This is going to be an interesting and fun podcast today. But before we go through that, I would like to always tell you how grateful I am that you are on the show today. We are getting more worldwide, as I have mentioned on other podcasts, and I'm so grateful. To me, this is a movement. It's grief recovery now. And as I've told you before, we're not a support group or, and I know it's so important to have support and therapy. This is a movement that an educational modality I work with that really concentrate on the recovery part of grief which is so groundbreaking to me that I want to share it with the world, but also with the podcast, I bring in all types of different experts and people with different experiences who have really, I don't want to say come to the other side of grief, but they got a more inner and fulfilling sense of completion and resolve with their grief that even has them walking on the earth a little bit more grounded, a little bit more well, not a little bit, a lot more happiness and a sense of purpose about them. It's amazing what happens in whatever modality you choose to do, either spot check grief recovery or sort of long term. That's we have a seven week program that I take people through that is, an, as I said before, an educational modality that blew my mind. I did it. And that's why I'm doing it now today as a grief recovery specialist. So thank you. I'm grateful. Sit back, relax. Whether you're going through grief, uh, low-level grief, devastating grief, or maybe you're interested in the subject of grief for yourself or a loved one or someone who's really going through a tough time. And please share this with anyone. This is meant to be shared. So again, welcome. Before we introduce our guest, I introduce our guest, Dr. Gary Salyer. I just always, at the beginning of the show, I talk a little bit about thoughts of mine or experiences or something to share professionally that I have come across lately. Well, what I've noticed, what I want to talk about today is we are at a time where there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And we've talked about COVID a lot in our podcast because my podcast started at the beginning of COVID and we, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. We didn't realize what we was going to happen in this year, a little even over a year, and we're still going through it on the devastating effects and maybe some awesome things that happened through COVID. But I wanted to talk about something that I thought about. I had a someone I worked with for a long time, and she was extremely 
calm, cool, collective through crisis, through problems, through losses. She seemed as cool as a cucumber. And she was, I was a recruiter at the time, and she was the biggest, most successful recruiter in our firm. I don't know how she did it, but she handled it so cool. And after the holidays, and it was an extremely busy time at the time. And then we had our holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Well, during the holidays, she's sitting there at her table, They had a beautiful feast. She was calm, happy. She was in Wisconsin. This is when I was in Chicago. She's sitting down. They're about to eat. She has an extreme, extreme panic attack. She was just shocked. How could this happen? It didn't happen when I was in extreme crisis, problem solving, losses, gains, just a whole merit, a bunch of problems. I can't say that word today, but she wondered what the heck happened. And we talked about it. And what we realized, what I realized now that I'm working on grief recovery and mental health, that sometimes we can be so good, we can thrive and survive through crisis. Not really, you know, we're in our, I bring this up, we're in our intellectual and we're not in our hearts and we're not feeling anything. So we just go full steam ahead, moving forward, results oriented. And right when she was feeling good and she's in her emotions and with family, loved ones all around her, full-blown anxiety attack. And it lasted for a while, but I realized that I'm not surprised. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because right now, COVID, people are feeling a little bit freer. Some things are lifting up. They're getting more work through the crisis. There's losses, lots of losses in COVID. There's also, there were gains in COVID. We had death. We had relationships, people who haven't seen each other for a year. People who, like Dr. Gary Sawyer today, he's going to talk about relationships and how COVID has affected relationship. His business is booming and he's a relationship expert and he's an attachment theory guy that is just groundbreaking work he's doing. It's just awesome. And I can't wait to talk to Gary today. So I wanted to bring that up. If you feel like all of a sudden you're getting a lot of anxiety and this grief all of a sudden comes about, it could be through small losses that have happened, medium-sized losses, conflicting emotions, even about going back to work, about going into an office because you're fearing the uncertainty of COVID. I have a little concern about getting a vaccine on Friday. I'm afraid it's uncertain development and it was really fast to develop the vaccine. So I'm a little nervous about that. Am I going to get sick? Is it, what's the long-term effect? Can I travel? I just have all this fear and there's some anxiety that goes with it. And so I just wanted to share it with you. If something happens where you feel some anxiety coming on or grief or other emotions that that don't feel so great, just know it could be something from earlier in this past year that could be catching up with you. So it's okay. And thank God for this podcast is that we give you little tips, meditation tips, breath work, writing tips, use them. It doesn't take that long, but it's so impactful. And we want to get into your subconscious and your higher consciousness to get into your heart. So, so glad you're here again today. And let's get on with our podcast with Dr. Gary Sawyer. And I'm going to introduce you to him. Dr. Gary Sawyer is a transformational relationship mentor and a attachment theory expert. He helps singles and couples rewrite the rules for love in their brains so they can create a love that lasts. Dr. Gary speaks to a national audience as a featured expert on various podcasts and radio shows. He is the author of the book, Safe to Love Again, How to Release 
the pain of past relationships and create the love you deserve. We'll have his website. We'll have all his social media handles in our notes, in our podcasts, and you'll see it afterwards. Please reach out to him. And the reason why I have him on the show today, I read his book. I picked it up. I don't even know how I got the book, Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. Picked it up, read the whole thing. I've never heard of attachment theory. And what I read in his book, it hit me in between the eyes. And I had to call him and reach out to him. And what's great is I worked with him and I also feel like he's a friend today. So I was so happy he accepted my invitation to be on our podcast today. And please help me welcome Dr. Gary Sawyer. Welcome, Gary. Glad you're here. Thank you, Charlene. And it is great being here on your podcast. Love seeing what you're doing. Love seeing it. Thank you. And I'm so happy you're on the show today. Let me ask you, why did you say yes to this? Because you work with couples. What's happening in your arena right now? And also, as I said, it's like what it was like, what happened and where you are today. How did you get into this work, too? So however you'd like to start with. Yes. Well, I'm on this podcast because from the work and getting to know you, I know you have a, a wonderful soul who's got a big purpose, and I will do everything I can to support people who are out trying to bring the world to a higher place of consciousness. So that's why I'm here today, is because I believe in you, and I see what you're doing, and it's a beautiful thing. So I'll tell this story about how I got in this for this podcast, okay? I'll tell a little differently. You know, when you grow up in a, in a um, dysfunctional family, where there's seven generations of alcoholism. And I'm the first person to graduate in high school. So I kind of blew that mold, <laughs> so to speak. There were a lot of losses. There came a day in high school when I realized I was never going to have a father. Just wasn't going to happen. He was the other man and my mom's first marriage. Now, later on, I did find out who he was and I did have a conversation. But there, there were a lot of losses. And I used to, and what got me into my work specifically was looking at all these divorces in the family and saying, I don't want to wind up like them. At seven, I asked myself, why are people so mean? And I noticed the way these lives and these, these they're, they're especially, you know, their relationships, they just sucked. <laughs> and, I, and when people told me as a child, this is the way life is, some part of me said, no, 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 that's not going to be my life. Right. But there were losses along the way. And oh, can and, I bring something up? It's yeah. so funny. Why are people so mean? So you lost kindness in your growing up. There wasn't a lot of kindness. Are you trying? No, no, there wasn't. In fact, my senior in high school, when I finally got accepted into college, it so upset my mother that I wasn't going to work in a shop for the rest of my life that she kicked me out. <laughs> uh, and I lived my senior year. So I lost a family. I mean, I lost all belonging the moment I, I said I was going to go to college. It was the, the rule in the family, what she said was, you can, you can work in a shop the rest of your life just like the rest of us. And I lived my senior year with my best friend in this family. Yeah. And you have to, and there was a grief process there too, because I, I, lost, I lost my union card. But, it was, but I knew that I wasn't willing to lose my future for that. It was too great of a loss. But oh no, uh, there there were all sorts of little things like that along the way. Niceness and kindness, not so much. And the funny thing was, is I remember being three weeks at my best friend's house, right? And I thanked him for 
I father, I said, you know, I want to thank you for not calling me. And I mentioned two or three cuss words that were always how you were greeted walking in the door. And he looked at me like I was coming in from another planet. And I realized, oh, my God, I really don't know what normal life is. I mean, I said I don't want to be mean, but I had been so habituated to this stream of negativity and sarcastical relationships that I almost, even though I didn't want it, I didn't know what the difference would be, which kind of sets you up. If you don't know, you know, you can say you don't want to have meanness, but if you don't know what real love is, it doesn't set you up for your first or second marriage. <laughs> it's one thing saying, I don't want to repeat a mistake. It's another one knowing how to be a success in that. And that became my lifelong journey. It took a little while to do so. Well, it's nice that you met him and he was a friend because I really believe in the peer to peer model. How yeah. if you maybe have never have met him, you've never you would have never seen the contrary actions and contrary beings of from meanness to kindness. And so, boy, what a catalyst that friendship was for you. Oh, yeah. He and I are still best friends. Steve and I are still best friends. We went back to third grade. I, and I owe a lot to his family for giving me that safe haven for one year to bridge the gap so I could go into college. You know, I, I really do believe the universe has had my back even when I didn't know it. Oh, <laughs> Looking that's, back. That's beautiful. That's why I have this podcast so we can remind each other or waken up a little part of your soul of maybe you don't even have enough, you've never experienced before. Yeah. Like grief recovery. What the heck is that? I'm going to be in grief my whole life. I don't know how to let go of it. So I'm so glad you're here to talk about it. And then the attachment theory, not to jump, but, be, you know, while you share a little bit more about this experience and how did you get into the attachment theory and the relationship space, the transformational relationship space? And how does grief tie okay. into this? Okay. So how I got into it, when I went to college, I was bound and determined that there was no way I was going to repeat this. I was going to be different. So I had a degree in religion and psychology. I had a double major. And so my senior year, my favorite psychology professor says, hey, we got this experimental personality test. Come on in, take it. And I took it. And then a couple of days later, he says, come on in, I'm going to give you the results. So I went into his office and he gave me the results, find out I got a personality <laughs> right. And as I'm walking out, Charlene, I get to the literally to the door and I hear him say, oh, by the way, you've got a 90 percent chance of having a divorce. And I mean, grenades went off in my head. What do you mean? Two months away from graduation, I still have a 90 percent chance. Right. And, and the funny thing is, as I talked to him last summer, he's still alive. He's 86. And he remembered that conversation. I guess I turned white as a sheet <laughs> at the hospital. So I, I did a fifth year of college, got another degree in marriage and family. Figured, oh, boy, I have I've definitely licked this. But, you know, the thing was, is I, I was trying to know what love is. I was really in my head because the only way that kept me out of that meanness was being in my head and not in my heart, certainly not in my emotions. You don't want emotions in that sort of negative crevasse of a relationship called a family. And so when I got married, then I heard the words, you know, Gary, I want a divorce 12 years. And I, you know, looking back, I get why that was the case because I was in my head. She complained multiple times. She felt lonely. And, but the funny thing was, is I got used to being by myself 
in distance was the safest place with a borderline mother. And I didn't realize I was repeating the old safety patterns. In fact, there was a time, Charlene, where she complained that I didn't get her, that I didn't understand her. You know, she didn't feel that connection. So I went out. What does an intellectual do who's in his head? He what does he do? He reads five books on understanding women. And so that, and so, you know, she would tell me things, and 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 then one week after I read it, she goes, "Gary, that wasn't what I what what I was needing." I go, "Well, that's funny because the book said that you know women need this." And then a week later, I missed some other cues, wasn't paying attention. She goes, "Gary, that's not what I need." And she goes, "I said that's interesting because the book said that women need this." Well, I did that about ten times, and one day she just turns and looks at me and says, "Gary, first off, my name isn't women." And secondly, read me, not the darn book. Now, if you think about it, what was the best way to deal with all those horrible negative emotions in the family? Get in your head. Don't feel them. And what was his solution? More of the same problem. No one told me that it was it was about being in your heart. It was about these feelings that I wrote about. And I actually compounded the situation <laughs> by doing more of the old safety protocol, where it was so... I got that. And then I did seven more years of therapy and still nobody ever figured out that distance was the way I survived, that some part of my brain was primed in that early family to seek distance because it was better than being bounced off walls. And then I'm, I get remarried after seven more years of therapy thinking, boy, I've, I've looked this. And then I'm divorced four years later. And after that, when I realized I was either picking women who were distance, or I was providing the distance, I realized I was managing pain, not transforming it. And one day after a painful breakup, I just looked in the mirror and I said, one, there's only one person that's responsible for this. And this is you. Okay, let's cut the crap of blaming your mother. You're, 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 you're almost 50 now, right? There's no mom here, right? And then I said, you know, nobody should work this hard. I've done the work, I've done the degrees, I've done the therapy. No one should work this hard for, for no more results than this. And I said, if they can't crack the code, then I will. And, and it became my, my life mission because, you know, what really transforms the brain so you can pick and choose and create a lasting, loving relationship versus these painful sets of losses called divorces and breakups. Because every time there was a loss involved. And it was not just a loss of the relationship. It was a loss in believing in myself. It was a loss. Of, and every time hope became eroded, there was a period of time where I thought, well, maybe just a, maybe there was one after the second divorce where I thought, well, maybe just serial relationships with sex is all I can handle. All I can is all that's left to me in, in the world. And that was part of the catalyst. Like, I can't accept that. <laughs> that's a lousy way to live. So the loss became a, a catalyst from you saying, what's on the other side of loss? There's got to be a way to reclaim all this. Yes. And I can relate to what you're saying and my own experiences. What you helped me out with is you said there are certain rights to relationship in relationships. Mm -hmm. And one of the rights is you have the right to separate and belong, exactly. be, be a we. Mm -hmm. And I remember you, you talking to me and you go, Charlene, you got separate down path. Because the only thing you what you need is to be learn how to be a we to belong. And I go, oh, my God. And then through the attachment theory work, 
Cause that caused a lot of grief. Like what, you know, what we were talking about, like I was just so perplexed and I knew something was up. So I started investigating like you did. And I realized that my father died young and I was young and I never had that father thing, you know, your first love. And I also realized my mother died when I was, well, she was 58 or 59. And so I was a young woman. So there was a part of me is like, I didn't know how to be a we. And I think it was, be, and I like to be separate. I grabbed, you know, I went towards the separate, my own business. That's why I had my own successful business and all that. And I was the world, I was by myself, had relationships, but I always wondered why couldn't I have a relationship that stood the test of time? Had a divorce in there and all that. And what I realized, I was afraid to love mm -hmm. because if I got too deep, there's going to be loss. Yeah. And my parents' death was devastating to me more than I knew. And I didn't know how to be a we. Yeah. Have, there was a lot of freedom in my family where, you know, we I got to go and just be free, but not a lot of constrictions. I mean, there was some or rules and all that, but I never listened. I just was on my way. But you helped me so much to see where I started from and the conflicting emotions I had about being in a relationship, wanted one, but then in it, my freedom afraid to go too deep and to be a we. I had no idea what that was and because my parents weren't really a we. Yeah. So it's interesting what I learned from you. And I didn't know I was grieving this. I didn't know I was grieving the loss in such a deep way. I remember before they died as a child, I said, oh, I don't want them to die before me. I don't know if I can handle it. And they did. My worst fears came true. Yeah. If you think about it, the right, every this right, this right to separate and belong, it comes on when the, the first time it comes on is when a little baby becomes a toddler and they get to, you know, they get mo mobility and they go over and they're a me, but they know they're a little vulnerable at nine, 10, 12, you know, 15 months, right? So, you know, all the little babies, they want to go play by themselves. I don't want you over there, right? But they don't want you to leave in the room either. They know they need backup. They know they want to belong. They get to be a me in a we. And it's supposed to be separate and belong. Explore your own life. Come home, the home port of someone's heart. But when a father or mother dies, that's, that's, there's a type of separation that deeply hurts. So it's one thing to separate and explore your little toys. It's another one when separation and grief takes away a father. Now separation, then there's some part that says, I don't ever want to believe, I don't want to ever hurt like this again. And one of the ways that grief can happen, especially when it's young, to a parent or even, you know, to a, a very loving spouse, is some part can say, it's better to be separate than to have that paradise lost feeling. I call it the paradise lost feeling. Uh, when you get kicked out of the Garden of Eden of a, of a parent's love, or maybe if it's uh, marriage, right? And some part says, I never want to belong again. Yes. Or even yes. if somebody's father was an unloved one, where they were cruel and not kind in your family. Yes. You know, you never, that's, you equate love and that equals pain or was supposed love. Did that happen for you? Well, you know, for me, with uh, it took me a while to figure out it wasn't until high school when I realized that the, the stories about who my father were were not right. And I eventually figured it out. I began to ask questions and I could I could read my uncles and aunts when they were lying. I'm going, that was a lie. Okay, so what's the deal? And I finally figured out. And for me, there was a period of time when 
if you go to like church events and it'd be a father son dinner and you'd have to recruit somebody <laughs> and somebody would would be nice enough to right an I uncle remember, or a family friend I, I, yeah yeah or i remember looking at this thing and i remember there was a, a beautiful man at this church i went to in high school and he walked up he had three daughters and he's and he just walked up i think he read my mind you know and um you know i'd been over to his house you know how shall i say hoping to date one of his daughters so he, he knew me fairly well you know? and he walks up to me and he says you know i i've never had a chance to do one of these would you like would you like to do it with me but it wasn't the same and i there came a period of time where i i had to i had to accept i was never going to have that father it wasn't going to be not the real father like what it, even though he was really nice there's a difference between nice and the bond you saw between the fathers and and I was never going to have that now interestingly enough i spoke to this guy later in life like at 50 to get some medical information and i used to really think man your father your father, father biological yeah. okay yes my bot uh and i remember thinking what a loss that was i really don't have a uh, uh uh, and I've had a couple of therapists saying that the template for a father, other than me being one, was never there. I I still don't know what it's like to say, uh, what would it be like to, to to be a son? It's not there. But it doesn't keep me from loving. But I accepted that's just part of this incarnation. Now, on the other side of talking to him, he I was getting the medical information. And I said, you know, it'd be interesting, you know, what is it about? You know, give me a little bit about your life, if that's okay. And I, he was he was twice divorced. And then he said, well, you know, I said, what happened? He said, well, I was alcoholic. And then he said, and, you know, I was a wife beater. Never too much, mind you, never too much. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, what do you mean never too much? They take the least exception to the, great, to the least infraction. What do you mean never too much? And then I thought, my God, if this man's psyche had been and it been imprinted on me, who could I have become? And I, I walked out of that conversation saying, thank you. I got his genes, he gave me life, thank you very much. And I realized, you know, there was a loss there, yes, but, and I, I, I was at peace with it. I was, because I, that, that relationship came with too high. Now, not every grief is resolved that way, but that was, and I was, I was at peace after that, I really was. There was a sense of completion and resolve, as you said. So yeah. that's beautiful. So you had a sense of recovery through that relationship and things were answered. Did you Some have losses a- are gains, Charlene. Some losses are gains. Yeah. We even see that in COVID. There are people whose lives got totally changed around and they got out of their rut. Now they find out they can navigate, they can choose a different path. It would seem like a big loss. They got knocked out of their routines and, and, and what they was familiar and then they find, wait a minute, who do I want to become? And I, I realized that for me, it was about choosing to become the most loving version of myself and to not say that. So it was, it's been an exercise in the right to create my own experience. Learning for me was there wasn't, you didn't want to belong to stuff like that much like yourself. <laughs> Why well, I understand this missing right is I get what it's like when being separate feels safer than belonging. And the biggest lesson of my whole life is learning what a beautiful gift belonging is and how to belong, how to accept belonging, how to give belonging. You know, it's the, I think it's the most important right in the book because of being a we 
is so important to every couple. Every couple I've ever dealt with has a problem with the we. But it's more than just that. I mean, I used to think I was all alone. I mean, my family disowned me from the time I was 18, right? Because he was he was this guy going on to college. But on the other hand, I have friends like you. I feel these days like I am surrounded by belonging. You just got to notice where it's at and allow it in. There's a boatload of people that believe in me, you know, and like yourself. These days, I'm surrounded by belonging. Isn't that beautiful that you recognize that? And I am in an awesome relationship, a life I know it'll last until it'll be a life relationship. And I don't think I would have it today if it wasn't for you and my grief recovery work. Because I was I was like, what is this filter? I didn't have that language at the time. There's something, a filter or something that's going on. And you help recalibrate it through a lot of things that you've done. And, and I don't want to get into it here, but I was grieving that part of me that didn't know how to, and I didn't know at the time being a we. And now I'm in this relationship. I am a we all the way. I I feel I belong. I know, you know, he just has a way about him that makes me welcomed and he's in it as much as I am. And we have our, our separateness, which is great and support each other. So it's been beautiful. It's been a year now. And hey, I am just as happy as can be. And, and whatever we do in the future, you're invited. <laughs> well, I will come whatever you invite me to, you know. And okay. It's true. You know, it, you know, if you notice that, you know, when we talk about these rights, these are just permission slips we're given early on in life, like a right to have your needs met, a right to separate them all, a right to create your own experience. And at one point in time, your brain took the best deal available, which was to pull it off the shelf. But you still have that ability. It's still there. The greatest quote I ever heard while I was doing my NLP training was there's no unresourceful people only unresourceful states. You were born, you were genetically wired to be able to create belonging and a we. It's just turning on the permission slips so it feels safe. And now look where you're at. You've created a beautiful relationship. And we all have a need to know that somebody's heart will be our home port that evening. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? And I bring it up not because I'm like, oh, great, look at me. It's because I am on that other side. I'm in the recovery part. Yes. And I feel this sense of freedom. And I know we all are growing and transforming and recalibrating all the time. And that's, we'd be in the grave if we weren't. And so so that's beautiful. And so thank you again. Can we talk a little bit about your professionalism, COVID, relationships? What's happening now? Why is your business shot up? And again, to remind people, Gary is a transformational relationship mentor, and he works with the attachment theory to help couples like 50 years married, first year, or even singles that are having issues like me at the time. So tell us about it. And any, can you share some stories too? Because I love stories and I think our listeners do too. Like just some examples, no names have to be happening. Oh, but oh, can no. you go to a single, a married couple and whatever... Sure. Intuitively want to talk about. Well, COVID is, if you think about it, we're talking about the right to separate and belong. The feeling is cherished and protected. That creates a way you separate, but you come back to belong. About last March, my son calls me. He's an adult. And he says, how's it, how's it feel to be grounded? And that was the weekend that Governor Newsom put everybody into social distancing mode, right? And then I found out that I was actually being grounded. And I said, well, you know, it's been a while. I'll grant you that. <laughs> You know, and it, within two hours, I thought, 
I said, this is going to play havoc at the heart of all human relationships. Because if you're single and you're locked down, suddenly you have no right to belong. You can't connect. You've got, you're being isolated and hope is going out the windows. On the other hand, remember this is a Goldilocks zone, right? For couples, you're supposed to be able to separate and then come back and belong. There's no right to separate. You're locked down. You're doing, you know, you're, you're maybe homeschooling your kids. Suddenly it's a pressure cooker of belonging because this right is a, it's, it's a Goldilocks zone where you get separation, belonging, just and just enough of each. It split it down the middle. So couples got all belonging and singles got pretty much all, all separation. And what happened with couples and why the, my business went up is because couples had been using, uh, for a lot of time, uh, they're using distractions to manage and to 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 keep away from the pain of their lifelong patterns, right? And what shocked me was how many of these were very 20 year and above marriages, 25 and year above marriages. When you take away the gym passes and the be able to go to work and suddenly you're under each other's feet all day long, there was no escaping the life, the 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 20, 25, 30 year pattern. And with and that was creating, and it was enough to split them. We've got to change it. That's what was going on with couples. Too much togetherness and <clears throat> no more distractions. They were looking straight at the thing, the distancing or the volatility that was always there. And then like the unsaid, excuse me, the unsaid, the little mm-hmm. irritations that would just walk to the corner, go to Starbucks. They weren't tampering, you know, by that short, we have, we call this STIRB, short-term energy relieving behaviors. Yes, exactly. So it's one thing if you're dealing with that annoying thing that you really, you've made peace with, you've accepted four or five times a day, but when it becomes 40 and 50, that's a different animal. Suddenly it's a backbreaker and now they're having to face it. And I can honestly tell you that, you know, we were able to help them I mean, there was one couple, they, they were married 31 years, and they said, you know, we're ready, we're ready to kill each other. I, and he said, I'm done. I just can't handle this pattern anymore, right? So it took a little while, but when we got down to the exact missing rights, they were you know, like all couples, they're, they married each other for the missing right they had, <laughs> and then they resented each other. We got down to her inability to feel that she belonged and his inability to feel he could create his own experience. So when she didn't belong, she'd get all, uh, you know, then she would clamp down and then he couldn't create his experience and he would draw, then she didn't belong, right? Then it went like that. When we got down and swapped out those feelings of disempowered and not so cherished so they could calm down and relate to each other in different ways, things calmed down. And I can still remember her saying to me, we've been through five therapists, but nobody took us deep enough to figure out what was really going on between us. And now we have a loving marriage. Thank you. Can you talk just for the lay person, because you're a professional and you do this all the time. Okay. One of the rights is you have the right to have your own experience. And the other one, and we've said it a couple of times, you have a right to belong. Can you just explain Mm -hmm. as layman terms as possible, how to describe it? Sure. I talk about rights in the book, and they all come from early feelings. These these rights are permission slips to have certain experiences in love. They're just permission slips, right? So when a baby, and there's six of them, when a baby is first born, and they are given this beautiful feeling of welcomed, which I, oh, there's little 
Charlene, so glad you're in the world, right? And then later on, we get the feeling of welcomed with joy in a relationship or good morning, gorgeous, or good morning, handsome, right? That becomes a right to exist in the world where it's good to be in your body and the world feels like a safe, cozy little oyster. You get to exist fully in your body and have your feelings, right? And not to be just floating in your head or just doing spirituality, right? Then second, and then when a baby's needs are met consistently with a tune, doesn't mean you never get anything wrong. You always do, but you keep making repair attempts and you finally get it. Oh, it's not the banky, it's the banky, right? That stuff. Or, oh no, it's the bottle. Then they get they realize they have a full right to reach out for their needs. They feel worthy. And when they feel worthy, they reach out for their needs. So we get a full right to reach out, knowing that if we ask our partner for something, they're going to give us an attuned response back, not mm, or you know, why were you asking for that? But you know it's you're worthy to have your needs met. Now, this one we've been talking about where when the baby gets low mobility, they get to be a me, they get to explore, they get to separate, but they get to belong and, and they get to have yeah, someone has their back. They're, they feel seen, they feel cherished and protected. So this is the right that allows couples to separate, have their lives, and then to come back to somebody else, the home court of somebody's heart. Or to just know that you get to explore your your life, you're like on the high wire act of your life, and somebody's the, the safety net below you, right? This is what that feels like. Someone's got my back. Then there's a right that once the baby starts realizing, hey, I'm a me, am I good and bad, strong and weak, and I got to embrace all that, right? You know, I can give my sister a cookie, I can pull her hair, all that stuff. It's very earthy of that. They get a right to create their experience. They feel empowered. That means that somebody else doesn't get to always be the standard of your experience. You get to be good with all of you and you get to create your own experience. Then there's a right to assert, you get to have voice, you get to be able to choose what you want. You get to have a say in things. That's another, that's also empowered. And then the right to love and be loved. And with the way this comes, you get a right that if you love someone, you have a right for them to love you right back, not love them more than they love you. And as an adult, it also comes in as, a, you know, as an adult attachment becomes more sexualized. And so it's a right to have a full partnership and passion. So you can have sex and a great partnership in the same package. You ever hear somebody say, why come the good ones and the, and the hot ones can't be in the same package? Then you know that that got split. So there's six oh. rights, right to exist, to have your needs met, to separate and belong, to be a part of a we, to create your own experience, not so be so codependent, to be able to assert your truth, to have a say, and the right to love and be loved right back. When you have all those and you're running those feelings, they give it a welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered because those are the feelings that give those 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 rights. And couples are giving those four feelings and, and granting each other those rights. It's a pretty good relationship. You feel loved. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, how about our single gals and guys who are going through COVID right now or even before COVID? What would you suggest... What's can you say your uh, professional opinion about during this time? Any tips for anyone, whether it be couples or singles during this time to just share a little bit of your work? I mean, I know people can call you and all that like I did and get the book. At least that's how I started. I read it from cover to the end. So do you have any tips like maybe they could before they would even reach out to you just sort of think about a little bit? 
I can tell you, well, I'll tell you one story. I had a woman reach out to, and wanted to work with me. And she was single. She'd been through a long marriage that wasn't very good. And some part of her said, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need love. I got my dogs. That's all I need. Way better than what I was dealing with. But then when COVID came around and suddenly she can't be with her friends, she calls me up and she goes, I, I used to think I didn't need a primary relationship anymore. And now I realize through COVID that I deserve more connection than what I've got. This has shown me how disconnected I am, that I've allowed, I allowed all that hurt in the marriage to not only to disconnect me from my own heart, to disconnect me from my 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 basic needs as a human being and from others. And I she goes, I want back the ability to connect and to connect one day with somebody who truly loves me. That's what COVID taught her. By taking away that she got, she got to look much like uh, couples have to look straight in the mirror. She got to look in the mirror and go, gosh, you know, I love my doggies, but they're not what I was born for. Uh, I've, and so for singles, they know COVID has taught them, wait a second, I do have more right for connection than what I've given myself. It's, and some of them have come in to work on it. Others are saying, how do I, and it, you know, how do I date now? And, you know, you can do that. You have to, build a couple bubble. You have to be able to get to know somebody long enough to see if they're willing to do the social distancing to protect you. And then, and the cool thing about that is if you, if someone is willing to go all the social distancing to make sure you are safe, you're getting a, you're getting a litmus test for whether they can create a we a lot earlier. You're, you're finding out of their partner material pretty good. You know, you're learning if they can cherish and protect you. So that's the upside of COVID. But what I've learned from a lot of the singles that have also reached out is COVID taught them that isolation and disconnection without long-term commitments isn't as much fun as they thought it was. They they were longing to all of those people that have relationships, right? Now, it's not all of them, as I said earlier, were having the greatest experience. <laughs> but it's also true that for couples who have who have real love and they have all the skills and they have all these rights and they give them freely, right? It made them even stronger. I know of one person, you know, she was 50 before she married. And she kind of got married thinking, I think it's time. I don't know if this is going to work out. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But then COVID hit. And this guy had her back in ways she never imagined. She was, she'd be freaking out. I'm going to lose my whole life. And, and she said, this man is my rock. And from COVID, she realized, my God. Am I the luckiest woman in the world? And now it's not like, well, maybe it works at done. She goes, I am the greatest thing in the world. I am going to work so hard at cherishing and protecting this relationship. COVID taught her what a beautiful thing it is when someone's truly got her back. And it just totally changed her, her estimation of how valuable that relationship was. Oh, that's beautiful. How does grief play in? What do you think is happening to people today and grief work? Do people, maybe they don't necessarily say the word grieve, I'm grieving. What is, how is that playing out with you? And what do you think we have, to, things we have to be aware of? Like I talked earlier about the person, all of a sudden she could work in the chaos and all that and the uncertainty, but once she got calm and in a happy place and family around and the after effects, do you have any thoughts on that? And you may not, but. Oh, actually I do. John Bowlby, who was the, the father of attachments theory, right, back in the 40s, when he wrote his great trilogy, 
of, of what uh, is attachment. The third book was called Loss and Separation. He understood that loss. The energy, love is an energy that supports us. It's underneath. It's the wings underneath our wings, right? And anytime we get cut off from that, we get separated from that. And suddenly, that's what loss is. Loss is separation. Now, if you understand loss as the separation from that nourishing life force that supports us, like another person, like a father, like a mother, like a friend, or even our coworkers, it's still separation. And separation creates an automatic response of loss. And loss is grief. So we are all dealing with that in our own, at some level. You know, my own son who works in works in a job that he couldn't guarantee me my safety. So we haven't been able to see each other for a year. That's a bummer. I haven't hooked my son in, a, in, a, in like a year, right? You know, there are friends that I really miss seeing or even getting out and networking and or speaking. There's just all of us have loss. And then there's the people who have died, right? Or, the, or sometimes people's dreams have been put on. That's lost too. COVID, had, you know, social distancing is separation and separation involves loss. We are all dealing with loss. I think that's why you can feel the dampening field of grief in the air. The people are down. You can feel the heaviness sometimes. And I think it's not just the fear part of what this pandemic has created but this has been an, it has inflicted so much loss on all of us, not just the 560,000 people who have passed. Yes. Many of them needlessly, but it's also been people have lost businesses, people have lost lives, friendships have been destructed. Now, on the other hand, COVID is, there's an upside to COVID. It, by kicking us out of our ruts, it is making, forcing us to create new options. We, it is, we as some of us have discovered that we, it is time to reinvent our lives, that we don't have to be stuck in the same ruts. That's the loss by taking away, we had to adapt, we had to pivot is another word. That's the upside of this, but it doesn't mean you still don't have the loss. I think uh, this gets into a right, what I call the right to create your own experience. Those, what I notice is most people are resilient. Okay, if you take away public speaking, like it did for me, I go, oh, so I'm going to go online. I'm going to have more free calls to support people and things like that. I just, I had to find new ways of doing it. And some of them were actually better. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I love that right to create your own experience because during COVID, and I know it's tough for some because there was a lot of losses financially, connection and all that, and dreams. And people who are grieving right now or in a space of, oh my God, this has been such a tough year. I invite you, or even it's been a great year. It's like awesome. But I invite everyone here to just write on a piece of paper, how can I create my own experience through this? Because I believe people say, you're so optimistic. I go, well, we can create any reality we want in the world. Why don't you create one that's awesome? even in loss or in grief. And my thing is like, I know we have to grieve. It's so important. You don't have a broken brain or, but you have a broken heart. Be where you are, share, be with the peers. That's how I learned 
so many things in my life. It's like reach out, create your own experience, hear about other people's experiences, go on Google and write in, you know, heartbreak, lost my husband and how I you know, thrived afterwards and how my life has changed, how I was like a Phoenix read other people's story like Gary with um, his friend who didn't understand the mean words that were told in um, Gary's family tribe. And so he learned from another peer. Oh, there's another way you can be kind and, and cherished and welcomed. And so please, I I just ask you could create your own experience. Not that you just, so sometimes we are blank slate about creating our own experience, reach out with the internet, just read stories on heroes who went through the hardest times in their life. And as I said, I'm not trying to say not to have your grief experience or your sadness. Just don't go on the rabbit hole too much where. Yeah. And what keeps, I want to say. Do something a little different to shake it up. Jump up, put on some great music or something. Just if you can't de- decompartmentalize. Sometimes I have to do it to read something else, watch a comedy on TV. The rabbit hole. What, what takes people down the rabbit hole and keeps them? I talk about this in the book. Dr. Rollo May was back in the 70s, the sort of go-to person for dealing with depression. Depression is often something that comes out of loss and grief. And what he and and I I quoted one of his quotes. He says, "Depression is an inability to create one's future. When people do not feel empowered to create a different future from what they've been given, that's when they lead to lack of resiliency and depression. But if you feel empowered, this is why it's the feeling. If you feel empowered and you can create a new future, if you can pivot, if, you, if you've if you got behavioral flexibility so you can do something different, you're not stuck in a rut, depression automatically goes away. So if you've had a loss, then if you feel empowered to create new choices, you will go through that loss very differently than someone who isn't. Uh, some years ago, I had a couple on my stage. They were married 55 years, beautiful marriage, beautiful marriage. And as soon as they retire, retired, they moved to Arizona. And within four months, he dies of um, a pancreatic. And I can still remember talking to her because you know, I'd had them both, this couple on my stage as an example of what a secure couple is. And she went through her grief because it was a 55-year relationship. I mean, it was a beautiful marriage. Really was. Perfect example. And But what was interesting, when she came through the other side, about three years later, she was talking to me. And this is what feeling empowered looks like on the other side of loss. She says, you know, I've done my grief. I spent three years, I've processed it, and I get why my husband had to go away. He was finished with his life's purpose. says, but I'm still here. I still feel as a light worker. I've got more purpose, and I know my time isn't ready. says, but I've lost, I've processed the loss, I understand it. And then what was really interesting is, now, Gary, you know, I still feel I have some love and life left in me. And I know you travel a lot. So if you meet a man, she was 79. She goes, if you see a man in his late 60s or 70s, still got some love and life left in him, and she puts on her best Mae West thing, she goes, and you send him my way. <laughs> now, uh, beautiful. this woman felt empowered. 
She she knew all through the grief she was giving up a loss, but she had she was on purpose. She felt empowered, and that power and that allowed it sustained her. And then on the other side, she pops out and it's like, oh, look at all that loss. I'll never have love again. It was like, no, I am a. And she had she just felt empowered to the core. And now, how do I recreate? And she noticed this is what a beautiful right to love and be loved. No matter she had 55 years, she was 79. There was no part of her saying, oh, I'm too old or I'm not worthy or I'll never have it again. Some part of her knew she deserved love. She could give it. She deserved to receive it. That's what the goal is on the other side of loss. To not let it say, oh, it'll never be fair. I, you know, I better not reach out. When does love go away? Or I guess I wasn't worthy. One of those old feelings that usually comes from uh, if we can go through our loss and realize we we are in an empowered way Mm -hmm. and realize that we are worthy of having whatever we lost and more on the other side. You know, we have the grief, but that grief will be very different if we can just go through it feeling worthy and empowered. Yeah, And you've got to do the work. And I don't mean work like shoveling mud or dirt or whatever. It's like there's an inner exploration and it's an inner adventure that you go through and you become totally awake to what your greater good could be and the greater good of the relationship or the loss, even the trauma. Exactly. Not disrespect for trauma. And there's a lot of it out there. PTSD. You know, who knows? How can you be of service? You never know. And please don't do it alone. Ask for help, Gary, myself, whatever you feel your soul is being drawn to and other people. If you need some specialist work, that's more than I can help you with or Gary, you know, reach out. If I can help you, I can. And all our information is on the podcast, whatever platform you decide to do. My preference is Apple, but it's on so many different platforms too. So this comes to the end of our podcast. I know we're going longer than usual, but I just wanted to thank you, Gary, for being here. Can you quickly tell me what's going on with you that we can share? This will probably go on in about a month, Mm -hmm. your show. So we're in April now, so it'll come out in May. Like the free gift or something like yeah, that? Yeah, free gift, whatever you Okay, think. well, if you, you know, if you go to GarySalyer.com forward slash love guide, G-U-I-D-E, love guide, I've got this beautiful free gift. It's uh, some short videos, four or five minutes, and you'll get them one every two weeks. And you uh, one is a track for singles who are afraid to date again. And then there's a track for singles who are dating but aren't pulling in the one and they're tired of that. And then there's one for couples. So you can get inspired and support and some skills so you can have a lasting love. It's called Dr. Gary's Guide to Lasting Love. And you can pick the one that's right for you. (laughs) I love that. And you know, we didn't talk about dating, but the dating field now, I mean, there's losses, like these little losses each time that hit our hearts. There's ghosting. There's all kinds of things going on today. That Please don't ignore these losses because sometimes you'll start building shields as we go. There is grief involved in that honor that grief please and not say next and don't go through it alone because that's more of a right to separate than to belong that's not much of a right to belong and have backup and support anytime i hear somebody i gotta do it by myself or they won't reach out for help then you know they don't have much of a right for to be supported in that way so and just know you deserve to have love you deserve to have backup and if you're going through grief you deserve to have love on the other side of it no matter what the loss was Yes. You were born deserving. Somebody had to teach you 
that you weren't deserving. But that feeling can be reclaimed. Yeah, even if you don't have a, a partner, you know, what's the pro- people who are your peers or, or Gary and I or other professionals be your little support? Um, what do you call it? That what's that support you call the when someone's on a tight wire? Oh, I, I say, well, it's like you know what they in a we. You know, you know, somebody gets to be the, the trampoline that's underneath the higher wire act of our aspiration. Yeah, the net. So let the, us the safety net. The, the net. safety yeah, net. Yeah, that's what it is. I don't know how you know. Yeah. But anyways, I want to thank you because we got to end our show. It's a little longer than I expected, but in a great way. I just think you're fabulous and I respect your work, how much it's helped me. And I know you've helped some people today, our listeners. So any listener out there, I'm talking to you. You're not alone. We're here for you and appreciate you and so happy you're on the planet. And thank you for listening. Again, please share. Let us know how you feel. There's a please rate, subscribe and review, please, on Apple or any of the other platforms. And We'll see you later. And Gary, thank you so much. Thank you, Charlie. We'll see you again. If you're writing another book or something like that or anything else that comes up, we'd love to. You're now in the Grief Recovery Now family, as all of you listeners are. So goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts, and we will keep you posted on our next podcasts. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now, and if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is Grief Recovery Method dot com forward slash grms forward slash charlene dash gorzella it would be an honor to hear from you